Kids, I know this is a busy morning, so I'm glad you're here getting all those. Did you still do shoe boxes and yeah, all the Valentine's cards? Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I want to talk about treasure today. We are back in the book of Galatians, and I thought about being a child, and maybe part of that was the Valentine's thing. Did you have, like, a box or a drawer or a purse where you kept your little treasures when you were a little girl? Maybe your favorite marble, your crayons, maybe some coins, something one of your parents gave you. And if you were in my generation, it would have been a little troll doll. Now, those were real treasures, a little little naked, scary person with blue hair. <laughs> but they were our treasures, and so we protected them, and we liked to just touch them, and every few days look at them again to be reminded of them. And then we grow up, and our treasures change, and then our treasures become people, family, friends, our job our reputation, and we can't really carry that around in a treasure chest, so we treasure those things in our hearts, and we protect them from harm. We protect our spouses or our children or our relatives or our friends, our job. We carry around those treasures, and we do what we can to keep them well and healthy, and that's a good thing. But our very greatest treasure, our relationship with God, is to be protected above all things. With that relationship with God comes the truths, the doctrinal truths that brought us to God in the first place. And we have been called to guard and protect these truths. Paul told Timothy, look on your verse sheet, 1 Timothy Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing, have wandered from the faith. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Paul is telling Timothy, these truths that I've passed on to you, these revelations from Christ, you guard them, and that is our calling as well. And remember, that is why Paul wrote the book of Galatians in the first place. The truths of the gospel were in jeopardy, and Paul wanted to protect it so that you and I could be here today in truth, not worshiping some God that somebody else made up in their mind, and not worshiping some God that you made up in your mind, but worshiping the God that has expressed himself in Jesus Christ and in his word. Paul was doing what God called him to do, and when Paul left this earth, guess what? We've got that baton passed on to us. It's our job to protect that truth for the generations that will follow us. So they will worship God in truth. John 4 tells us, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And sometimes we forget that. We forget that we have that baton passed on to us. But if the church doesn't guard the treasures of the gospel the treasures of our salvation, the doctrines of God. Who in the world will do it? It's up to us. It's our job. 
Um, I read in a newspaper in Kansas City, they told the story of a beggar who was 48 years old, and he'd been found dead in his apartment at age 48 from malnutrition. And just the day before, someone said, you know, I saw that guy in the street. He was telling me how he owed somebody $5, and he didn't have $5. And this was the same man who died the next day in his apartment. So the police come into the apartment, and they start going through his stuff, and they begin to realize they start finding money in tobacco cans and in in boxes and paper bags, and it totaled $63,000. He had a treasure, but he didn't use it. He ignored it, and he ended up dying in poverty, dying of malnutrition, Our treasure, these unchanging truths of God, salvation, his plans for us that spring from his word, we pursue and value these treasures, or we can choose to ignore them too and be spiritually malnourished and go through life in danger of believing a lot of lies. And it's sad to say the world would love to tell us a lot of lies, and unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that would like to tell us a lot of lies. In fact, Jesus warned his followers in the parable of the wheat and the tares that the enemy would be sowing lies every time the truth was being sown. In fact, he said there was a good man. He went out in his field. He sowed good seed. He sowed wheat. He went to sleep. And while he was sleeping, his enemy came along and sowed the seeds of weeds among his good crop. In order for us not to fall prey to the lies of the enemy, we must know the truths very well, and that means we cannot go to sleep. We have to be awake. We have to be alert to know what the truths are. Last week we learned that the very truths that Paul was taught by Jesus Christ in the three years he spent with him were the same truths that the disciples learned in the three years that they spent with Jesus. Paul's gospel was independent of, in terms of his revelation, but it was identical in terms of its content. And this is what we hold in our hands today. And God said, take this, Paul. Take this gospel of grace, this true gospel, and go out into the world. And he did that, beginning in Damascus, the very place where he was trying to stop this truth initially. And he went through Syria, and he went through uh, Cilicia for over 14 years. And now God says, you got to go to Jerusalem. The truth is in jeopardy. That's where I want you to go. So turn to me with me to Galatians 2. And let's look at verses 1 and through 4. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running and had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. 
In the Bible, we'll see that Paul went to Jerusalem five times. Maybe there was more times, but there's five recorded times. The first time we looked at last week, after his conversion a few years, he went to Jerusalem, he met Peter, and he met James. His second visit would be to come to Jerusalem. There had been a famine prophesied in the land of Judea. The people in Antioch had gathered money. The Jerusalem Christians were very poor. And Paul and Barnabas brought that money to Jerusalem. His third visit was to go and attend the Jewish council where they were going to discuss what do we do with Gentiles in the church. His fourth visit was after his second missionary journey. And his fifth visit led to his imprisonment in Caesarea. And these verses we just read, um, it's hard to know which Jerusalem visit Paul is talking about, but most people seem to believe it would be the third visit. He's been once after his conversion. He went once to take money to relieve some of the poor people. And now he's going probably on his third trip to go to that Jerusalem council. Now this was... All the apostles together in Jerusalem. And this was the elders of the churches and the leaders in the churches coming together to discuss the position of Gentiles in the church and, more importantly, what justifies us before God. And then once they made an official statement, they sent this out to all of the churches, and it was stamped with the authority of the apostles of Jesus Christ. At this point in Paul's life, he'd already been to Galatia. He'd already been sent by the people in Antioch with Barnabas to go through those four cities we looked at and take that first missionary journey. And this is where the churches of Galatia were born. And then they return to Antioch and they're rejoicing over everything that happened and they're telling all the brothers and all the sisters in Antioch, and they're rejoicing. And all of a sudden, the news of that rejoicing catches the ears of some of these Jewish legalists in Jerusalem. And what do they do? Good seed sown. we got to go sow some bad seed. They don't know it's bad seed, but that's exactly what they're doing. They travel all the way to Antioch to try to refute everything that Paul and Barnabas were so excited about the work and the hand of God that they had seen. And so these guys come, and I want us to look in Acts 14 at what happened. Acts 14, verse 26. This is talking about Paul and Barnabas. From Italia they sailed back to Antioch where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they'd now completed. And on arriving in Antioch, they gathered the church together. They reported all that God had done through them, how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Here's the lie. Unless you observe circumcision and the law, you can't be saved. And this is known today as the the faith and fill-in-the-blank equals salvation line. Because we think this is really... 
a crazy thing to say you must become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And remember, the Judaizers, they were not denying that Jesus was the Messiah. What they were denying was that faith in Jesus was enough to justify them before God. So first, you have to become a Jew. You have to observe the Jewish things. We don't uh, have that same lie. We have lots of other great lies out there. You guys are thinking of one right now. Faith and speaking in tongues equals salvation. Faith and baptism equals salvation. Faith and catechism. Faith and good works. Faith and being good. Unless you fill in the blank, you can't be saved. I had a really rude awakening when I was engaged to Ted. He um, had me come to Texas. I was from Illinois. And go to a family reunion in August at a camp out. <laughs> you know, I started to wonder about my decision to marry Ted, to live in Texas. Camping out in August in Texas was hot. It was hot and sweaty, and I didn't know any of these people. And I'm in a tent with strangers. Anyway, it went okay. But, uh, it was Sunday. And it was so neat because there were a lot of people. Ted didn't even know a lot of these people. And, and Ted's mom and some other people came to Ted and said, Hey, it's Sunday morning. Why don't you lead us in a little worship service? And they knew he'd been to seminary and led youth groups and been in the ministry. And this woman pops up out of this kind of good soil. We're about to have this worship service. And she begins to quiz Ted and I. And says, you can't lead us into anything about God because what church do you belong to? Ooh, this is called the faith and membership to a particular denomination (laughs) equals salvation. I had never heard of such a thing. And she kind of battled him and battled us and battled, and I don't think we ever did anything. Ted and I were trying to remember, did you ever do anything? It put a stop to what would have been a worship service with a bunch of people. Here's the warning about that. When our works win over the affection of our heart, we get disenchanted with the true things of God. This woman at the campsite's heart had long ago grown cold to the things about Christ, and she was more affectionate about the works she did for Christ. She was more affectionate about the church she belonged to. This was an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be shared. And she stopped it because Ted didn't belong to the right church. We get so caught up sometimes in what we can do for God, there's no room left in our hearts for him to be our real treasure. This is where the false teachers were. They had treasured their good works so much, there was no room for Jesus Christ in their hearts for him to become their true treasure. So in order to demonstrate truth, we just read, Paul and Barnabas bring Titus with them. Titus was a leader of the churches in Crete. And it made me think of show and tell. Did you, do they still do show and tell? Isn't that funny? I mean, I was a little girl doing show and tell, and I remembered, I thought, could I remember anything I brought? I only remember one time I had a relative bring to our house a peanut plant. 
a kind of dried up peanut plant, and I was shocked to learn peanuts grow underground. I just thought it was the coolest thing. I remember carrying that old dried up peanut plant to school for show and tell. I'm sure the kids were like, we don't care about a peanut plant. But I thought it was fun. But anyway, when I was walking over here, I saw my daughter, and I said, Cassie, did you have any good show-and-tell stories? (laughs) If you knew Cassie, you'd think this fits for her. She said when she was little, she took a dried apricot out of our pantry because she thought it looked like a jewel. (laughs) Took it to school and -and show-and-tell as a jewel, a rare orange jewel. And then she took a big bite out of it to shock everybody. That was her show and tell. And I thought, Kathy, that is so, so like you to do that. I bring a peanut plant. She brings an apricot. Paul brought Titus to show and tell. He was Paul's friend. He was a spiritual child. He was a co-worker for Christ. And he was a Gentile. He was a product of the very ministry that the Judaizers were mocking. Paul brings him along. If the apostles in Jerusalem didn't force Titus to be circumcised, then Titus could walk among the Gentiles as a visual of grace, the grace of God. The truth would be protected. That faith, faith, Plus, nothing equals salvation. And also, the Judaizers had been going around telling everybody, the apostles back us. The apostles in Jerusalem, they are on our side. So Paul knew, if I bring Titus uncircumcised, and he leaves the Jerusalem council uncircumcised, they will not be able to tell people anymore, we've got the authority of the apostles behind us. And so he brings Titus with him. Here's the treasure Paul is submitting in the Jerusalem Council. On your outline, God justifies us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul first met with these brothers to share the treasure. He met with them privately, the apostles. It wasn't because he thought they didn't know the truth. And it wasn't because Paul thought he might not really know the truth. Paul wanted them to hear about the work God was doing in his life so he could compare it to the decisions that they were making. What do we do with the Gentiles in the church? If they would say, well, let's keep the legalists happy and go ahead and have all the Gentiles circumcised, then Paul would know, my work has been in vain. The work, the truth I've been spreading with the gospel, with the Gentiles, would be in vain. Instead, we know the apostles affirmed everything Paul said and had nothing to add to his gospel. They heard from Paul and Barnabas, then they heard from the Judaizers, which I think in this passage or another one, you might want to know, they were Pharisees in their old life. The council heard from both sides and turned to Acts 15, verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. This was, he's thinking about Cornelius when God sent him there. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. 
Now, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter was not asleep. The apostles were not asleep. They grabbed that lie. They stopped that lie. The treasure was safe. Titus was safe from being bound to legalism. And this is why I think Paul went to Jerusalem in the first place. Turn back to Galatians chapter 2. Paul cared about the people in Galatia. We know that because when he went, we studied last week how even though he was persecuted and almost killed by stoning in one of the towns, those four towns, what did he do before he went to Antioch? He went back to every town getting those churches strong, strengthening them, loving on the people, appointing leadership within these churches. I think that when Paul went to this Jerusalem council, he had in his mind specific faces of people he loved in the churches of Galatia. I think he had the Nathans and the Marys in his mind that he knew were being deceived by these Jewish legalists, and he cared about them. He cared about the truth in their hearts. He protected them for his concern and compassion for them. And I thought, isn't that good to remember? We think, okay, I'm supposed to protect the truth. Now, why am I doing that? Put those faces of the people you treasure in your mind. You're doing it to protect them so they can grow and know the Lord. And when we hear lies about the truths in our treasure chests of our relationship with God, it should disturb us. We should think about these people. We should care about every false message that these people are hearing. We should care about the books and the songs and the movies that are saturating their thinking. We should be able to refute the lies with the truth because we care about them. I remember years ago, when my kids were little, you guys have lots of fun kitty shows. We had Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers today, I don't think he would quite make it. These kids are used to this, and he was a slow, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Very slow. One day I'm in the den, that show is on, my kids are listening to it, and I hear them say, they're talking about God for a minute, and they say, she is a good God. And I'm like, what, what did I hear? And I listen again, and they're calling God she. I'm Mr. Rogers. Now, what should I do then? Just keep dusting the house? No, you stop, you get the word out, and you show what truth is, and you plainly show what a lie is, and then you go on. I don't know why he did that. Uh, I never saw anything else on that show bad, but that's a good example. Sometimes we're afraid to do that because people say then we're narrow-minded and we're judgmental and we think we're all that and we're critical-spirited. And in reality, what's our reason? What's our motivation? We truly care about truth and the people who hear it. We want them to be grounded. Paul wore lots of physical scars on his body for protecting the truth. 
We can bear a few little scars of feeling stupid or rejected or made fun of for the sake of the people that we love. I thought it was interesting with um, Mr. Romney and Mr. Huckabee at one time, Mr. Huckabee was talking about Mr. Romney's faith and said, isn't that the faith that says Jesus is Satan's brother? I don't know if any of you read that or saw that. It came out for a while. And that is what the Mormons believe. And who got criticized for that comment? Mr. Huckabee. Now, I don't really know what his motives were, but he was speaking truth. We need to hear those things. That was the truth. I think there are things in the church we make concessions over. What color the carpet is. Even how often do we take the Lord's Supper. We never make concessions over the doctrinal truths that are the foundations of our faith. So what does Paul tell us to do? Look at 2 Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. He must be kind to everyone. Circle this, able to teach. Not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Circle gently instruct. In the hope that God will grant the repentance, leading them to a knowledge of what? The truth. And that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who's taken them captive to do his will. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. On your outline, we have to pursue truth from these verses. Truth isn't all of a sudden going to be in your mind and heart. We have to pursue truth. We have to know truth. We have to share truth in order to protect truth in the heart of others. And I think the fact that you're here today means that this is a priority in your life, that you are taking seriously the fact that you are called to guard the treasure that you've been entrusted with. Every time, isn't this great? Every time you speak truth from God's word to any other individual, it has the power of the Holy Spirit behind it. You are being obedient to the calling of God. God will use that, not only in that person's life. It strengthens a lost world every time you choose to take a stand and be faithful to the truth. Now the scene changes from Jerusalem back to Antioch. Look at Galatians 2, verse 11. And then Peter comes to Antioch. When Peter came, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Wow. I would have liked to have been there to see this moment. This was a huge moment for the health and the progression of the kingdom of God in the early church. Two men of God colliding. If Paul's authority was still in question at all, this would have taken care of that. Peter, the leading apostle of the apostles of Jesus Christ, 
head-to-head with another apostle, the apostle Paul. Paul holding tightly to the treasure chest. Peter a little less tightly. By withdrawing his fellowship from the Gentiles, Peter was in essence saying that he was on the side of the Judaizers and he was minimizing the gospel of grace. But there's something else his actions were making a statement. They were making a a statement about prejudice, that we are not all equally accepted by God. That there are distinctions in the kingdom of God, that there are certain people God loves more than certain other people in the kingdom of God. Peter, from these verses we realize he'd been in Antioch for a while, and it says he had been enjoying fellowship with the Gentiles. They'd been having meals together. They used to eat with the Gentiles together. It's a continual word that this was happening often. They called their meals love feasts. He was probably eating the Lord's Supper with them often. But when these Jews from Jerusalem come to visit claiming to be connected to James. Now, if you want to go back and look in the book of James, of Acts, we'll see that at the Jerusalem Council, James sided with Peter. James would not have sent these guys. Remember I told you, they always have to say, we've got the backing of so-and-so behind us. So they come saying they're from James. They come into town. And the way these verses are written, it says Peter began more and more and more to withdraw his fellowship from his Gentile friends because he was afraid. Afraid of these Judaizers who taught a false gospel and who made false claims of where their authority came from. So what was he afraid of? He was afraid that they might not take his authority anymore. He was afraid of his popularity. He was afraid of being criticized. He was afraid of losing prestige. And so he held, not tightly but loosely, to this treasure he'd been entrusted with. The warning for us on your outline. When fear takes over our hearts, we are prone to compromise the truth. I might not get to marry this man. I know he's an unbeliever, but I'm afraid to be alone. So we compromise the truth. I might lose my job. I compromise the truth. I give in to temptation. I accept lies. I become more and more complacent, more and more loosely holding the treasure given to me by God. Peter knew better. Peter was called to meet with Cornelius. He went into a house of Gentiles, shared the gospel to his utter amazement. The Holy Spirit came down just like it did to the Jewish people. Peter saw that with his own eyes. And he says in Acts 10 on your verse sheet, Now I realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him. We read how Peter had spoken at the Jerusalem Council. In the next verse, Peter said, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. But most importantly, Peter had walked with Jesus. Jesus had eaten with sinners. 
Jesus was criticized for that all the time. And Jesus died for all men. I got to teach Peter a few months ago, and it really reminded me of the old Peter. All that's missing in this story is an outside fire and a rooster. Think about it. What made him, who was claiming his undying devotion to Jesus, deny that he even knew Jesus? His fear of men. Once again, the old Peter resurfaces his fear of men, carries him away, and the Judaizer liked the old Peter a lot. And even Barnabas was carried away by this lie. Now we read that and think, yeah, Barnabas. Barnabas? Barnabas had been with Paul. Barnabas did this trip through Galatia. Barnabas was in all these cities loving on these Gentiles. For Barnabas to be carried away was huge. And here's the warning for us. When we loosen our grip on truth, we will cause others to loosen their grip as well. Barnabas is a great example of that. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in the true way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. We are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in deed and word. What if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? We'll take people out of truth into lies. Paul knew the same truth that Peter knew, only Paul wasn't afraid. And so he didn't jeopardize the truth. In Jerusalem, we saw that when Paul got there, he met how with the apostles? Privately, to see how they were going to relate. Here, he rebukes Peter publicly. This called for a public rebuke because Peter was sinning publicly. Galatians 2.14 When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it that you force... Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know a man's not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Here's what Paul says. You were quite willing to live like a Gentile. And now you're totally reversing your opinion and saying, I want you Gentiles to live like Jews, to be bonded to the old yoke of legalism. And then you'll be more accepted by God. Paul says, you know, you know men are justified by God through faith. Now, word justified, it's the first time we see it. It means to declare righteous. Peter Paul includes Peter and all the apostles in his argument. When you see those words, we, he's saying, Peter, you know this. Apostles know this. We all know this. And here's his arguments. Look at verse 17. 
If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. This is actually the argument of the Jewish legalists. They are saying this. If everyone's justified by faith, which eliminates the law, then everyone will just act however they want. There'll be no restrictions. People will just sin all day long without the law. And Paul's answer is, then you're saying Christ promotes sin. And so that cannot be. Paul says this in verse 18. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. And what he means by this is, if I return as a believer back to the law, the law will only tell me I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus. I think he's talking to Peter here. Those who turn from the grace of God and go back to the law are recondemned by the law. What is Paul's motivation in these passages? I think he wasn't looking at specific faces here. He publicly rebuked Peter because he cared about the church. And he cared about you in this pew. And he saw the future foundation of the church in danger. If Peter had got to spend that time in Antioch, first loving on the Gentiles and spending time with them and eating with them, but now he's way over here and he's only hanging out with the Jewish people and his back's to the Gentiles, what kind of a message would the early church be receiving? If what was left in everyone's mind was a picture of Peter bending over meals with the Gentiles, laughing, I mean the Jews, laughing with the Jews, spending all his days and nights in the houses of the Jews, talking theology in a corner with the Jews. The Gentiles being left out, the church would not be what it is today. Every false doctrine that isn't rebuked in the church makes the church suffer. We protect the truth, not just for those people you can put in your mind, those faces. We protect it for people we don't even know. They're going to be in these pews a couple hundred years from now, Lord willing. And us staying strong for the truth of the gospel, they're going to benefit from that. We protect the truth for them as well. I read about a man in New Jersey who inherited a family Bible, and it said on this, To my beloved Stephen, his aunt had died. I bequeath my family Bible and all it contains, along with the remainder of my estate, after my funeral expenses and lawful debts are paid. After he paid those debts, he had a few hundred dollars and an old Bible. Puts the Bible in the attic. This man lived in sort of a small pension, pretty much near poverty. Thirty years goes by. He decides he's going to go live with his son. He goes in the attic to clean it out. He finds his aunt's old Bible. He opens the Bible, and he begins to find money within all the pages of the Bible and banknotes, and it equals thousands of dollars. When we neglect the Bible, we neglect the riches of God. We have to use this to protect the church. On your outline, we must proclaim the truth of God's word in order to protect truth in the body of Christ.
And finally, I wanted to look at when truth protects us. This is the best part. This is why we protect truth. Because in reality, when you came to Jesus Christ because someone shared the truth with you, and you didn't know a whole lot more about him, you just knew he loved you, and he paid for your sins on the cross, and you believed that, and you embraced that in faith, you didn't realize that all the truths that he was handing you in the treasure chest were going to protect you for the rest of your life until you got to see him in glory. Psalm 40.11 tells us at the bottom of your verse sheet, May your love and your truth always protect me. Look at verse 19. Here's our protections. For through the law I died to the law, that I might live for God. On your outline, we are freed from sin. This verse means the law demanded death. Christ paid the death penalty. I am free. I am free. That's a truth that protects me every day of my life. Look at Romans 7. You have died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. In Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Look at verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We are freed from our old selves. We're going to write the word freed three times because I want us to remember it. That's what the truth has done for us. We are free. You are free from your sins, free from your old self. Does it mean you'll never sin again? We can look at Peter. We know that's not true. And the neat thing is, I think Peter repented. Peter didn't debate Paul. Peter knew Paul was right. He needed someone to rebuke him. But our old selves don't dictate who we are anymore. We are not under the power of our old self. Look at 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And look at verse 20, second half. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are free to experience new life in Christ. Romans 6. If we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We can agree with Paul. We want to protect the truth. It's a joy to protect the truth. When we know the truth has set us free. That's what gives us the strength to do it. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, whither shall I go? Author of faith, to thee I lift my weary longing eyes. Let me now receive thy gift. My soul without it dies. I do believe. I will believe that Jesus died for me. And through his blood, his precious blood, I am from sin set free. 
And that is the truth. Let's protect it. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. We want to thank you for this fellowship that everywhere we go, from the kids' rooms to the youth rooms to the adult rooms to the sanctuary, the truth of your word is being preached. May you always protect it. May you always keep that fervor in our hearts to be those who make the future secure for our children and grandchildren and beyond and beyond and beyond until we get to be with you. We thank you that your truth sets us free. We give you glory and praise. In Jesus' holy name, amen.